this chick in some work, but I finally have them. There's rumors, Amanda, that some of them have abilities. Oh, yeah. I have seen things. Maybe Superman was some kind of beacon for them to creep back from the shadows. This is now playing's DC Movie Universe Retrospective Series. The greatest gladiator match in the history of the world. Part of the now playing DC Comic Movie Series. I'm putting together a team. Can't save the world alone. Hosted by Arnie. You do your best thinking when you're not thinking at all. Stuart. My parents made me what I am. And Jacob. Together, we were the greatest empire the world had ever seen. At NowPlayingPodcast.com, we will be reviewing all the DC Universe movies featuring Superman. I grew up in Kansas, Jim. About as American as it gets. Batman. We just have a bad history with freaks dressed like clowns. Wonder Woman. Oh, I don't think you've ever known a woman like me. Aquaman. I am the protector of the deep. Suicide Squad. What the hell's wrong with you people? We're bad guys. It's what we do. And Justice League. They said the age of heroes would never come again. Past two. This podcast will contain detailed plot spoilers and mild language. Are you effing stupid? Listener discretion is advised. So save the world. Today we're discussing Aquaman, starring Jason Momoa. Amber Heard, Willem Dafoe, Patrick Wilson, Dolph Lundgren, Yahya Abdul-Mateen II, and Nicole Kidman, directed by James Wan. This is Arnie, and guys, can we hurry this up? I'm missing happy hour for this. My man! This is Stuart. And this is Jacob, King of the Sea Monkeys. It's finally here, right? The DC Extended Universe has returned. It is hard to believe how long it's been since Justice League. I rewatched Justice League for this, and I was like, wow, this was a long time ago, and the CGI and the plot don't get any better with time. Long time ago, wasn't that just last year? Yes, that was the shock. I thought it was two years ago, but it was last Thanksgiving. Yeah, it feels like two years ago, though. And I think I was the kindest of the three. I gave it a mild green arrow. My sense was they saved the patient. They were dying on the operating table with whatever Snyder had done, and they stopped the hemorrhaging, and they got the patient off the table, and that to me looked like success at that time. But he's never left the ICU to this day. (laughs) Yes. The truth of the matter is none of us felt like it was healthy enough to go on, and yet Aquaman was already in the can. James Wan had already more or less shot this thing. They had to go forward whether they thought it was a good idea or not. Yeah, it feels like they're just pulling that tablecloth from underneath the Thanksgiving dinner. Who cares where the mashed potatoes fly and the turkey and stuffing? We got to just clear this table off. Justice League, two hours, sharp two-hour hard time limit. This is going to go on for two and a half hours. Where's Henry Cavill and Ben Affleck? They're rumored to be gone from the DC universe. We don't even know if there's a future. Is there a future for DC at this point, or do they have to reboot? We'll talk about it at the end of this. There's 26 movies in development, several in this universe. Mm, They've written down 26 names of movies. (laughs) I don't know if they're in development. They've paid people to write or 
produce or look into these 26 movies or hired stars. But Henry Cavill, apparently they asked him to do something. I don't know if he was going to have a cameo in this movie or something, but he's like, I'm too busy with other stuff. I'm not going to do it. And that has led to a rift. And Warner Brothers is like, we're done with Henry Cavill. And Cavill's like, well, I'm done with Superman. And so a divorce has occurred, I guess. I mean, money can always make things better, but it seems like Superman is gone. And Ben Affleck, too, I hear. I mean, you know, he's a director. He was going to make his own Batman film. Now I'm hearing nothing about that. Matt Reeves is still working on a Batman film. Affleck, I don't think he knows what he's doing right now. Yeah, there has been one unqualified success, and that is Wonder Woman. If nothing else comes out of all of this, they have a solid future with her. Gal Gadot will be back in that. It gives a sign of encouragement where we were seeing a lot of mediocre to bad films going on. Wonder Woman was a step in the right direction, but Aquaman's a tricky one. And I had heard Aquaman, early buzz, best movie in the DC universe, better than Wonder Woman. That was the early buzz, is that this was going to be that good. And it got my hopes up, because you mentioned that Aquaman's a tough sell. It's all because of the Super Friends. That has tarnished his reputation, I feel, forever. And yet, that's what I associate. Like, the time that I did like Aquaman, I was six years old. I remember loving going to the community pool, and that was the character you would play, right? <laughs> it was fun to be that when you're six. And for a certain age group, playing around with the fish, I had an aquarium. Jacques Cousteau was on TV back when I was a child. I felt like I had some kind of connection in childhood to this character. But what he's become and how an adult could relate, it's harder. I mean, his power. I went back and I rewatched Saturday morning cartoons for a while, and Super Friends was one I revisited. How they always had to shoehorn something underwater for Aquaman to do, while everybody else actually did important things on land. And exactly how good is it to be able to talk to fish? Yeah. I mean, that's a iffy power. Now here, they've really ramped him up. He's bulletproof, he's super strong, he's super fast. I mean, this is more like the comic book version where if you imagine a race of people that lived under the bottom of the ocean, they get to land, well, they don't have all that water pressure, so they've built up all these muscles, so they could jump really high, and they're really strong, and they could see in the dark because of that ocean environment they're used to. Like, there are good Aquaman comic book stories, but again, it's that cartoon I feel has ruined him forever. It would be hard to shake that, and they will eventually cop to that suit. Jason Momoa is eventually going to go orange and green by the end of this. They have to. Didn't he go orange and green in Justice League, though? Like, didn't he have a suit? They gave him a suit in that movie, and they're doing it all over again now. Having rewatched Justice League, continuity is bleeped. Yeah, I rewatched, not the whole movie, didn't want to sit through that again, but I rewatched the Aquaman scene where he's underwater, and yeah, I'm like, hmm, this isn't jiving with the movie I just saw in theaters. But he was wearing armor in that film. I don't know where he got the armor. Maybe Willem Dafoe was like, here, this is in your size. Wear it when you go fight Steppenwolf. But he was wearing armor, and Amber Heard was not wearing a really bad clown wig. <laughs> But he was not wearing the orange and the green, though. It was like this gold and black suit of armor. Well, it's hard to tell in that movie. The color palette is so awful. 
But yeah, I do think that if you're watching this movie, it seems like Arthur, he's like, where's Atlantis? I don't know what Atlantis is. And all I wear is a torn t-shirt so that the women can look at my pectoral tattoos. He swims in like steel toe boots. You don't do that. Take the shoes off if you're going to go swimming. He's Aquaman. That's one of his powers. Don't take his steel boots away from him. But in Justice League, he went to Atlantis. Atlantis didn't look like much. He couldn't talk underwater. Mira had to make an air bubble for them to discuss Steppenwolf. And yeah, he had that full armor and the trident. It didn't even feel like he knew his mom had supposedly been killed, which is a big part of his character throughout this film. And yet, I'm not going to get bent out of shape about such a thing. You guys complain it's not a good movie. Why continue that? Oh, I'm just calling out the continuity. It's not there. But but what I'm saying is, then let's have a clean break. James Wan comes in with a vision. We've kind of appreciated him in other movies. He is best known, I think, for horror. He kicked off with Saw and then Insidious and Conjuring. What about the Kevin Bacon death notice or whatever it was? Oh, (laughs) death sentence. Secretly wanted to do other things like action. And that was one of them. And Fast and Furious 7 was another. He is ready for showing who he is as a director. He is ready for launching a big, epic superhero that I'm curious to see as I come to Aquaman. He's already shown it, right? I mean, the CGI and all of that in the Fast and Furious movies, they're as big budget and globetrotting as any superhero movie. In fact, I was getting Fast and Furious flashbacks here because I never expected an Aquaman movie to take me like a James Bond movie to the Sahara and then to Italy and all these various places. (laughs) Maine. Yeah, but what I'm saying is previously he was handed things that were already done. We knew the crew of Fast and Furious. We don't really know much about Jason Momoa's Aquaman even after seeing Justice League so that he is going to be able to tell that origin story is I think a reason to be hopeful about what we're here to discuss. And I was very hopeful. I went and saw this early. Amazon Prime has done this a couple of times before. If you were an Amazon Prime member you could buy tickets to see Aquaman a week early and I'm like I'm there. I'm hearing it's better than Wonder Woman. Of the three of us, I felt Wonder Woman's third act just fell apart. So I'm thinking you could be better than Wonder Woman. I was there, sold out, opening night. Fans were there. It was a complete full house of Aqua fans. Wow. Yeah, I went to a five o'clock Thursday afternoon. You know, the girls are out of school, took the family. The four of us went and I was surprised. Almost sold out, except for those front two rows that never sell out unless it's a huge film. Packed theater. Yeah, I did see this again. I wanted it to be fresh in my memory. So since I saw it a week ago, I went back on a Friday IMAX showing. It was the 3.30 in the afternoon. It was pretty empty, actually. And maybe it's because school wasn't out yet here or people were still at work, what have you. But I was surprised at how many empty seats there were for a movie I reserved my seat for a week in advance. Funny little story. I uh, saw this movie, five minutes of it in 3D. I told Arnie, yeah, I'm going to the 3D show. I showed up at the wrong theater and had to drive to another theater that was far away and missed the first 10 minutes of the film. Fortunately or unfortunately, I had to also see another movie this weekend, Bumblebee. I snuck in and saw the first 10 minutes in 3D so I could speak a little bit about how unimpressive that was. And most Mostly, I saw this in IMAX. 
James Wan has said he doesn't like 3D movies. He doesn't like having to wear glasses over his glasses. And so he's not really too into 3D. But then he went on to go, but Aquaman, it really immerses itself and it's built for three. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yep. We know. Don't see post-conversion 3D is what he's basically saying between the lines without torpedoing his own film. Yeah, I didn't see any of the Atlanta stuff. That's obviously where it would probably be best utilized. The opening of this movie is not dynamic enough to really show it off, but it did look like post-conversion stuff. If you are paying for differences in ticket price, I don't know why you would pay the 3D surge charge. Having seen it in IMAX and the preview showing wasn't IMAX, it was just a regular movie, I'd say see this in IMAX because a lot of it was shot in IMAX format. You just get a lot more of the world and a lot more scope of frame. Whatever I say about this movie, James Wan is a good visual director. He has a kinetic camera style. This movie is very pretty looking and it's prettier in IMAX. But what's the story? Arnie, give him the plot. We'll get into it. Arthur Curry, played by Jason Momoa, is the offspring of human Tom Curry, played by Tamara Morrison, and Atlantean Queen Atlanta, played by Nicole Kidman. Atlanta fled Atlantis before her arranged marriage and found love on the mainland. But the Atlantean king sent troops to retrieve her, and to save her husband and son, she returned to the undersea kingdom. But she sent Vulco, played by Willem Dafoe, to train Arthur in the ways of Atlantean combat. Now as an adult, Arthur spends his days drinking beer and saving people's lives in the sea. As we see in this film's opening, when some pirates, led by Jesse Kane, played by Michael Beach, and his son David Kane, played by Yahya Abdul-Mateen II, try to hijack a Russian military sub and kill all the crewmen. Arthur saves the crew and leaves Jesse to drown. David swears to avenge his father. For his seafaring heroics, social media has dubbed Arthur the Aquaman, which I guess is better than Bodie McBoatface, but not much. <laughs> But in Atlantis, trouble brews. Arthur's half-brother King Orm, played by Patrick Wilson in A Bad Die Job, wants to declare war on the surface for polluting the seas. Come on, if you're going to call out his bad die job, call out everyone's. <laughs> everyone's got a bad die job in this film. The hair colorist sucks. I agree. It's hideous, man. Brought to you by Hot Topic. <laughs> Yeah. I don't know, Patrick, Patrick Wilson's especially, when he takes off that helmet. <laughs> I, it was amazing. Arthur's half-brother, King Orm, played by Patrick Wilson, wants to declare war on the surface for polluting the seas. Using the submarine that David Kane stole for him, Orm tricks King Neurus, played by Dolph Lundgren, to join him. But due to some crazy rules, they need, like, two more kingdoms to join their cause, and there's only two kingdoms left because stuff. So they need that to declare war. So Vulco, along with Neurus's daughter, Mira, played by Amber Heard, who also happens to be betrothed to King Orm, want to stop the atrocity, so Mira goes to get Arthur, who is rightful heir to the throne. Arthur reluctantly goes to Atlantis with Mira and challenges Orm to combat, which Arthur handily loses. Mira saves Arthur's life and they begin a quest to recover the lost trident of Atlan, the magical weapon of Atlantis's first king. To find it, first they go to the Sahara, then to Sicily, where they're attacked by David Kane. See, Neris has forbidden Orm to kill his daughter, so Orm gave Atlantis's most advanced weapons and armor to David. David then did an A-Team-like montage to re-engineer it into a wetsuit with an oversized laser-firing helmet and now calls himself Black Manta. He doesn't realize in the 21st century that's racially insensitive. <laughs> <laughs> Why can't you just be Manta? <laughs> <laughs> 
But Arthur and Mira fight off Manta and his men, and then continue through a magical portal to where the trident is held, and find Arthur's mother alive. She was sacrificed 20 years earlier, but she has survived. But the only way to leave is with the trident, which she couldn't get from the mythical Carathian monster that guards it. But Arthur goes, and thanks to his ability to talk to fish, he talks to the monster and is able to retrieve the trident. And he rides the monster back to Atlantis, where again he challenges Orm and wins handily. But rather than kill Orm, Arthur spares his life, and reunited with his mother, Orm peacefully goes into custody. And the Atlanteans chant, All hail King Arthur! As my eyes and credits roll. <laughs> Now, I mentioned I came late. I toyed with the idea of, like, I'm not that late. I, I don't need to see the movie again. But, like, the first <laughs> shot I see is Nicole Kidman diving off the pier into the water. I'm like, oh, crap. I missed everything with Nicole Kidman. I knew I had to go back to understand why she is here. And I don't think even when I saw it again the next day in 3D that I truly understand why she's lying on a bunch of rocks in a hurricane and this lighthouse keeper takes her in. I don't think they give an explanation, do they? I mean, there's something about arranged marriage, and I guess she was fleeing that and maybe got injured during that, but they never call out exactly what happened to her. No, she just shows up on the rocks, bleeding, wearing skin-tight scale stuff. And Tamara Morrison, and the first time I saw this movie, I'm like, is that Tamara Morrison? It kind of looks like him. He looks like Henry Cavill's CGI'd upper lip. They <laughs> tried to de-age him, and it is unsettling looking. It just made me think, who is this? He the first part of the movie is exceedingly nonverbal to the point that I wondered if we were seeing a remake of Splash. <laughs> this woman from the water comes up and is saved by a guy and he like bandages her with an ace bandage. So I guess that wound was not that serious and gives her tea and she eats his goldfish and she's moving around. Nicole Kidman's de-aging. It looks good, but having seen her in person recently at Comic-Con, she doesn't need much de-aging. She's held up very well, but she doesn't talk for a long time. I'm like, can she not speak? If she speaks, is it going to be like Daryl Hannah and like a fish? More to the point, later we will see these men of war come with helmets. They have to breathe water. Why can she breathe air? I saw this movie the first time with an Aquaman super fan. And that was my big question when I came out is like, wait a sec. Why can certain people breathe water and certain people breathe air? The second time I saw it, there is a single dropped line that only the highborn can breathe both air and water. So the lowborn can breathe water. Okay. But I honestly thought because she slices them and water comes out of these suits i thought these were robots that were like water inside like they developed <laughs> water technology and they speak through like a voice modulator i really just thought these were like spdr from spider-verse which i'd just seen i thought they were just droids i got that they were soldiers with water but i was confused too me my wife my kids we all missed that line i remember my wife turning to me she's like why can ocean master breathe and no one else can i'm like i don't know and i'm not even gonna try to figure it out at this point yeah it was my first question walking out of the theater the first time the second time when they go and visit volko in that boat and arthur's like well why are we meeting in this air pocket and she goes it provides security only the highborn can breathe both air and water which doesn't matter because a bunch of troops in armor come and invade that anyway but they do say that line once and we've all missed it yeah that's fine i mean i don't need to understand everything having missed this moment 
and wondered all of the things that it might have told me in seeing the rest of the movie, I come back and realize actually nothing matters at all except that they have a man-fish baby. That's the whole point. You know, they blow on some tea and that equals love. And next thing you know, <laughs> she's got a bun in the oven. And at age three, when they come to get her, she decides that she can protect this land family by going away. And then... I don't know what happens because 30 years will pass, and yet we're told that she was sacrificed 20 years before. Well, she wasn't sacrificed immediately, though, because they had to keep her around long enough to rape her and give birth to Orm. Okay, so that's the other 10 years. Okay, not that it really matters, because fortunately for Nicole Kidman, we're not thinking about her. Man, is she bad in this film, (laughs) but you won't notice. And I really just think they downplay how disturbing it is that they kidnap her just so she can be a broodmare for a man she doesn't want. That is a disturbing, disturbing plot line. I didn't imagine any fish rape in this. I just took it, oh, they're taking her and she's going back to her kingdom. Do you think he spent 10 years wooing her until she was like... I didn't even think about it. Because you know what? I get silly scenes like nine-year-old Aquaman trying to do this hilarious pose as all the fish gather around him and scare all the other school kids. I don't know how I'm supposed to take this movie. Yes. Next thing we know about their baby is that he seems to be bullied. And this movie tries to do a coy thing. They keep talking about half-breeds like he is both man and fish and that's why he's persecuted. But I think the relatable idea here is that this is mixed race, that the actors playing this character are of two different ethnicities, and how audiences are going to connect to Aquaman is that he's biracial. And that, at this moment, you know, he's in 1994, this is maybe not as cool as it is nowadays. It's become more and more common the entire time I've been alive. I know in the 70s it was extremely taboo, and then... Yeah, if this is 94, I wouldn't think that is taboo at all. But Jason Momoa is... Samoan, raised in Iowa, native Hawaiian. I wondered why they had Tamura Morrison. It was weird to me why you bring a Kiwi to play his father, but then I realized, I think you need to explain his skin color through heritage in some way. Yeah, Tamura Morrison is Maori, the natives of New Zealand. They'll do the little nose-touching thing, which I did all the time when I lived in New Zealand. That's just a common way to greet amongst the Maoris. But yeah, I think that is there to explain why he looks Polynesian. Okay, wait a second. You just hit something for me. The Maori have their own language too, correct? Yes, they do. Does Aquaman speak in that language here? Because I honestly thought twice Jason Momoa just fell back to his Game of Thrones role and was speaking Dothraki. Because the Atlanteans speak English, the Americans speak English, and a couple times Jason Momoa was like, And I'm like, yeah, I thought he was going to do the Haka dance at the end, (laughs) which is the Maori war dance. Like he strikes the pose, but then he does that silly jump. I'm not sure what he's doing during those times, if those are actual Polynesian words or I don't know. Yeah, they're trying to pitch him at the start of this as a hero. That was the big resistance he had in Justice League was for whatever reason, if you asked him to do anything, hey, could you run by the store and get milk? No. And he'd walk off into the sea. Like, I'm just not going to do anything that you expect me to do. Here, he has at least embraced the idea of being a surface hero. He's not going to go to Atlantis, but he is going to protect Russians when they're invaded by pirates. That's the big opener we have for him in present day. And I know 
notice they give them like a score. Like each superhero now in the DC team needs their own theme. Wonder Woman had this electric guitar that was kind of Greek and all of that. His is much more of a thunderous, like metal kind of guitar. No, come on, metal. He's got the new metal yeah. score. <laughs> is it wrong that I wanted it to be Aquaman? Do 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 do. Aquaman do 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 do. Aquaman do 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 do. Aquaman. So. I know Marvel has made us laugh a lot. You got to have jokes, though. When Aquaman shows up and he's like, permission to come aboard. I'm like, oh, Jesus, we're doing this. We're doing the puns and the James Bond quips. What about the smoldering looks? I mean, when he says permission to come aboard, he's in this like model shot of looking over his shoulder seductively. And then later he's going to walk through a waterfall on a submarine or walk through some smoke. There's so much posing in this film. I felt like we were in a GQ shoot for Jason Momoa more than anything. I mean, he's a himbo. Like, that's all that he's known for is being very good looking. I think he got his start on Baywatch and, yeah, Game of Thrones. He, I mean, he is perfect for WWF. Honestly, it's kind of a surprise that he's not there with Cena and The Rock because he has that kind of charisma. They play him with that kind of charisma in this opening when he's slamming guys into the doors and the periscopes and all of that. There are so many grunts and, yeah! No, I mean... <laughs> <laughs> I felt like I was at a WWF arena. And in fact, if you've seen some of the shirts people are wearing, I saw a woman that was wearing a shirt. I thought it was a wrestling shirt, but it was for Aquaman. I forget because I was never that kid, but there is a whole audience for that kind of hero. And this movie is pitched for that. You said himbo, and that was the word that went through my mind in this, because they're not going to play up Aquaman's intelligence. At one point, it's going to be called out. You do your best thinking when you're not thinking at all. He is a himbo hero. He is not intelligent. He's not someone you want to rule your kingdom. Yeah, and to make a Marvel equivalent, that is also how they kind of sold early on Chris Hemsworth in Thor. Oh, this is so Thor, this movie. They're getting a lot of ideas on how to create an Aquaman movie by looking at that first Thor movie, which I just want to remind folks, my very least favorite Marvel Cinematic Universe film. You like Thor 2 better than Thor 1? Yes. Yeah, I agree with you, Stuart. The 2 is slightly better, but yeah, worst films of the Marvel Universe. I saw that the second time I went. I don't know the DC Universe very well. Now, I know Super Friends and Justice League, so I know that Aquaman always would fight Black Manta at the end of those cartoons, but I'd never heard of Ocean Master. That's because it sounds like something a six-year-old would declare <laughs> at the beach. <laughs> I'm Ocean Master! Okay, and then terrorize your sandcastle. Yeah, you're awesome. <laughs> so... I just took Patrick Wilson in this movie as being a bad guy with a bad hairdo. I didn't realize until the second viewing it hit home that down to the mommy issues and everything, this is the Thor-Loki relationship. The brother who's trying to seize control and a little bit murderous and the brother who's all the muscles but no brains and yet they share a mother. They're even half-brothers. Loki was adopted. It doesn't just feel like Thor. It just feels like any fantasy where there's a king and a son that's been banished and yeah, this is two and a half hours long. I've seen this story before, guys. We don't need to do the two and a half hour version. Give me one hour, 40 minutes, because, yeah, this is not an original story. You might throw Aquaman in there. That might make it different. Doesn't make it original. Yeah, and I think you just stick with one villain. The trick here that they try to pull is that, although Arnie's right, their Loki is this King Orm. The villain that he's going to fight here and in all his big set pieces is Manta, who I thought was Kevin Hart with a lot of CGI to make him 
taller and bigger for a second. I'm like, oh, well, look what they can do now with computers. It would be better if it was Kevin Hart, because then you'd at least have guy trying to tell a joke versus guy who can tell a joke. But no, it's Yahya Abdul-Mateen II, who I don't know. I guess I saw him when I suffered through the Rock's Baywatch movie. He was in The Greatest Showman, and he's going to be on the upcoming Watchmen TV series. But I think this is probably his biggest role to date. But he's given all this dramatic heft of you killed my father. And I feel like they're setting up in this sub scene, the conflict of the movie. And it'll turn out that this Manta guy is really just one other fight that comes two hours later. Oh yeah. It's going to blow my mind how much Manta is just going to leave this film because yeah, it feels like they're setting him up. He's at least going to team up with Ocean Master at the end. Like I kept waiting for that final fight with Manta. It's not coming. It's this sub scene and a fight in Sicily and that's it. The sub scene, I didn't realize Aquaman is bulletproof. I guess everybody in DC, probably everybody in all of comics is pretty much bulletproof because guns are just so prevalent. You just can't dodge every bullet. But we get this scene and it's honestly a little bit hysterical to me that we're going to hijack a sub. There are still a lot of Russians alive on this boat. But here, son, let's take a moment and let me give you the ceremonial knife and have an emotional moment where I tell you this story I've never told you before about your grandfather. <laughs> yes, that should have been told. Yeah. That's what you tell your son to get him to become a criminal. Yeah, save it until after we clear the torpedo bay. <laughs> yeah, it's like, this is not the time. Your father was a World War II seaman and a wetsuit diver, and they called him Manta. Not to mention that, like, if this were American sub, we would be killing him because, yeah, they're killing soldiers. They're killing sailors. There's nothing admirable about what they're doing. The fact that he's passing along this Navy knife is bizarre. They're pirates. Yeah, but it's because the grandfather was rejected, I guess, because he was black, so he's a hero when he's in the war, he comes home, racism again, and so I guess that's why they became pirates. Yeah, they call themselves scavengers, but I look at this and I just think about, like, that Tom Hanks movie. These are Nigerian pirates who are boarding and killing and taking a submarine that Aquaman pretty much beat the crap out of. I mean, just, he breaks off one of the tails thin rudders and he's denting it, lifting it up to the surface. I mean, nobody's going to want this janky beat up sub by the end of this fight. But Aquaman can be hurt if you have a rocket-propelled grenade. Oh, come on. This is hilarious. Okay, Aquaman's bulletproof. All right, whatever. Though he's going to get stabbed real easy later on in this film. But he gets stabbed here because Manta, he has this actually kind of cool, I'll admit, but I don't know how he bent his elbows. Yeah, it's the Deadpool Wolverine Origins problem. Yeah, exactly. Well, here, Manta, out of his suit, comes out this entire sword blade, and they have a sword fight that's absolutely meaningless because Manta gets a hit but can't penetrate Aquaman's skin. I guess when he gives those Atlantean blades later, that's what could penetrate it. Yeah, that's the gimme is that he's not working with the proper materials to hurt them. But when Aquaman takes a grenade full on frontal and just like he lays down for 30 seconds and then gets up, I'm like, oh, okay, there's no stakes in this film. Thank you for readjusting my expectations. Okay, so it sounds like we're all in agreement here. This Aquaman feels pitched wrong. They've overcorrected. If the cartoon from Super Friends is too goofy and silly, this one is too tough, too jocular, just too much. And there's no humanity to him. 
I'm getting all wrestler and no emotional connection. They did tone him down from Justice League, where Marjorie has quoted Justice League trailers the entire year. Just, my man! And yeah! So he's not quite, even though he looks hair metal, he's not like he's on stage at a Scorpions concert, but he's close. He did it throughout this entire fight, and then he's presented with the first moral quandary of the film, one that I think is going to be more important than it is. Should he leave Manta's father alive after, in five Firing a second grenade, he brings a torpedo down on himself and is going to drown. And he makes the decision, ask the sea for mercy, you just killed half of the crew here, you don't deserve to live. Is that wrong? Was that the wrong choice? I feel like the movie raises that without ever really following through. You would expect later on a similar dilemma. Maybe Ocean Master is going to be stuck and he's been a jerk the whole film, but Aquaman's going to have to say, I guess he kind of does, like he doesn't kill him at the end. But yeah, I expected this to come back more. It comes back in one scene where Jason Momoa tries to Jason Imoda and be like, <laughs> I feel like this is my fault. I could have saved him. And instead, I made an enemy. And that's it. And you know what? I don't feel bad. This guy could have gotten out. He fired the second rocket-propelled grenade. He ruptured the hull of the sub. If he hadn't been a total douche, he could have just gone out with the others. I don't know that Aquaman would have dragged him to shore, but they had their own stealth sub, too. I get totally confused by this because then, all right, so Aquaman just leaves them and son is crying because the torpedo is on father and the father decides to like pull up a grenade. Like, why is he blowing himself up? He has a helmet. Get air. Like, <laughs> Yeah, I, but he's still going to drown. You're going to run out of that eventually, I guess. Look, quick death versus drowning. Okay, whatever. You got to give the villain some kind of motivation to specifically go after Aquaman, even though he already has that because we're going to find out he's working for the Atlanteans. So, so there's already a conflict set up. We just need double conflict, I guess. Okay, whatever. I just... Whatever. That is the theme of this show. <laughs> yeah. I just want to give a shout out to Michael Beach. This is his second bad underwater movie of the year. He was also the star of Deep Blue Sea 2. Oh, my God. <laughs> I thought you were going to say the Meg. <laughs> but yeah, I took the grenade as both A, I don't want to drown, and B, I don't want my son to stay here trying to rescue me until he drowns, so I'm going to pull out this grenade to force him to flee. And yes, Manta leaves, and the sub is seen sinking, and Manta gets in his stealth sub that he stole from the U.S. Navy and goes away, yet somehow this sub is going to show up in Atlantis later on. I don't know who repaired the sub, who got the torpedo off of dead dad so they could fire it but i knew when he, i saw this sub come up later this entire plot was revealed to me i'm like okay so manta is working for ocean master yeah, is anyone fooled when that sub shows up and starts firing on the atlanteans because i'm like where did that come from the u.s navy just happened to ping some mermaids and decided to start firing on him for no reason come on that's got to be black manta yeah let's talk about that scene because that is where we meet patrick wilson's king orm the half-brother of Aquaman, he is not the one that fed Nicole Kibben to the sea monster. We never met that king. He is that king's son, and presumably he learned lessons on how to be an asshole from <laughs> that guy. And what does he want? He wants this title called Ocean Master. It really doesn't mean a whole lot to me, but when 
your ocean master, it means that all the seven... You rule the seven seas. Okay. There are seven kingdoms of which I never get all of the names. I don't even understand what the seven tribes are. Are we ever told? Yeah, we're showing the origin story of Atlantis, but there was one Atlantis and they had the ultimate technology, renewable resources of energy, and that caused their doom for reasons which made them sink. (laughs) It's amusing to me because it's like they have this machine. They got like steampunk robots walking around. And the king puts the trident in a machine which causes it to overload and sink an entire city. I mean, is this like a Hadron Collider type fear? Yeah, in the form of a trident. It's silly. And I think what we're told is the people, once they sink, some evolve into mermaid people and some turn into brine shrimp. Yeah, there's one line. The same technology that destroyed us allowed us to evolve and learn to breathe underwater. But they didn't all evolve the same. They went their separate ways because they said some regressed and then received the trench monsters. So I guess some became monsters. This isn't how evolution works, but whatever. It's a silly <laughs> water world movie. Mm-hmm. And they all broke so far apart that they're now in different areas of the entire globe. Well, there's seven seas. So yeah, each one rules one of the seas. And one of those seas is the Sahara by the way yeah yeah the deserter kingdom i don't feel like they properly established the realm is what i'm going to call out here i understand he wants to rule all over what used to be unified but i don't know what that was then or now and i get why this is so complex now i've not read the new 52 aquaman comics but from the super aquaman fan i went to the movie with this entire thing is very closely hewing to the new 52 origin of aquaman and the new 52 is where they took away superman's red panties and everything they did the new 52 to try to establish a comic that would look like the movie universe and they had a streamline the problem with dc is they have rebooted so many times Crisis, infinite crisis, multiple crises. There's always a crisis and that always changes continuity because they're like, how do you have this 1950s Superman family where there's a Superboy and a Supergirl and they always have to do this. So that's fine. Take the most recent continuity and run with it. Either play up the camp because look, this should be camp. All these brine people that are going to show up and I'm cracking up. Yeah. You know what my comparison is? Here's what this movie should have been. 1980s Flash Gordon. Yeah. It should have been brightly colored and crazy different tribes of hawk people or shrimp people in this case. You know what I mean? Just go crazy with it and don't try to give us all these explanations. Just give us a colorful, crazy underwater world. I mean, Guardians did that and it's the biggest Marvel thing. I feel like those aren't that far removed from a camp film. It's just there's a lot of money behind them, so they look really good. But what I'm saying here is with the Seven Kingdoms, I think in a comic, this makes sense because you have to put out 12 issues a year for Infinity. And so having Seven Kingdoms that Aquaman can have various villains in and allies in and building a universe makes sense. But when trying to boil that down into one exposition scene for poor Patrick Wilson, it's incomprehensible to the uninitiated. Yeah, to put it bluntly, for me, the person that is not inclined to want comic book continuity, this is unrelatable. Like, this is going back to Oa. Like, you have made Green Lantern all over again. It's just silly. But, Stuart, you agree that you could have a silly fun movie with that stuff. It's, they don't want to do that. 
two things. This universe was established by Snyder as being more grounded and serious. You know, really established by Nolan, but Snyder copying Nolan. And it's hard for them to get away from that. And two, they have very bad joke tellers. When we cut back to land, Aquaman is getting drunk at breakfast and thinks he's going to be beaten up by bikers and they end up wanting to use their glittery pink phone to get a selfie. That is not a joke. That is somebody looking for a joke. Watching it the first time, I actually kind of liked that scene, but watching it the second time, they don't play it right, because Aquaman's like, what do you want? I'll tell you what I want. You know, he says it so threateningly, and the score's like, boom, 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 and you're expecting this big fight, and Tamara Morrison gives Aquaman a wink, like, I got your back, and this turns into a bar brawl. But I do like, basically, it's like one of the end of the Hangover films, where you get to see all of the photos, and Aquaman's like, don't touch me. And later on, they're crawling all over each other, and Aquaman man's drunk as hell like it's kind of fun I'm, I'm not not having fun with some of jason momoa's himbo drunkard stuff i agree i just wish there was a consistent tone like yes let me just laugh at this silly jason momoa doing all his bro stuff and posing for selfies and instead i gotta listen to a dude that's gonna call himself ocean master and look this has got to be camp if you're gonna call yourself ocean master <laughs> yeah my wife turned to me. She's like, is that what they call him in the comic? Because her eyes were rolling so hard at the mention of Ocean Master. I'm like, that's his name. She's like, okay, I'll go with it, I guess. It should go Thor Ragnarok. Put in colors, put in all of that. And instead, we're getting like Dolph Lundgren with a bad dye job. Patrick Wilson with a bad dye job. Amber Heard with a bad dye job. Like, no, that's a bad wig, right? I mean, that okay, is like... bad wig. Everybody who complains about Thor's wig <laughs> needs to just revolt against what they've done to Amber Heard here. But I felt so bad for Patrick Wilson in this movie. And it's rare that I feel bad for Patrick Wilson. He's not quite a star, but he is a consistently working actor who we reviewed time and time again. And he's done the superhero thing before. He was Night Owl in Watchmen. A different kind of film, but yes. <laughs> And yet, both produced by Zack Snyder. Let's not rule that out. I definitely saw some scenes in this film of CGI rain that Snyder would have been proud of. Yeah, the overall color palette, I feel. There's a few moments where James Wan breaks free of that, but overall, just a very drab color palette. But this is a long movie, and the first two hours of it drag. And so I'm finding myself wanting to know the behind the scenes. I want to see how did they film them swimming? Were they on harnesses against a green screen and swim? Yeah, it had to be. Are the whole bodies CGI and they just have the heads? But there are so many scenes of Patrick Wilson floating and throwing his head back and his arms out and be like, I am Motion Master! And I just want to see him alone against a green screen trying to pull that off and looking ridiculous and especially that hair i mean it, it's bad when dolph lundgren is coming off as the best actor in a film the drama stuff is making me laugh and the jokes are making me angry but i am trying to glue to the idea that they are trying to say something about biracial identity there might be something to grab onto here and beyond the silly name of Ocean Master, what does it mean for a tyrant to unify seven kingdoms against the surface? They kind of come up with an environmental pushback. The surface has polluted us. Yeah, which is the storyline they always come up with. Namor in the Marvel Universe. It's always, those surface dwellers have polluted our oceans and we gotta get revenge. Right, so he comes up with this plan. Yeah, He stages a phony attack. He tells Dolph, the surface is gonna strike us, but we need to strike them first. And then he's 
stages this pirate to come in with the sub so that it looks like the surface is striking them. Which doesn't matter because Dolph knows it's fake, we'll find out. So he could have just gone along. I'm glad he knows it's fake because it is so ridiculously obvious. And second of all, I do think Dolph is one of the best actors in this film. He is the best. Underneath some dyed red hair and a fake beard and mustache. My wife didn't even recognize him. Neither did mine. She's like, that was Dolph? She almost wanted to go back and see it because she totally missed out that it was Dolph Lunger. And he's really good here. Like the best he's ever been. Yeah, you need to stop. He is not really good here. He is the best he's ever been. (laughs) Stuart, he is really good here. Did you see this movie? (laughs) He is the best actor in this. Let us not get confused by saying he is good. Everyone else is as bad as he is. Here in this movie, I'm only talking about in this Aquaman movie. I'm not talking about in cinema in general. He is good here. All right. You know, a movie like this can survive one central performance that is lackluster. The problem is you can't have two. Wonder Woman, Gal Gadot, I'm on record. I did not think she was very good, but I thought Chris Pine was awesome and putting them together made her better, made that chemistry really great. Momoa is central casting surfer boy. He is completely adequate in that and will never be a great dramatic actor. You need to pair him with a fish like Meryl Streep and Heard should be seen and not heard. Actually, she shouldn't (laughs) even be seen. That wig, she should just be fired. They needed to find an actress that could make him better and she makes him worse. She is terrible in this film. I can't believe it. I thought I liked Amber Heard. I thought she was very good in a movie that, Jacob, you put in our book that I had never seen before, Drive Angry, the best ghostwriter film ever made. (laughs) And she was really good in that. I guess that might be all I've seen her in. The spirit, she played death. That movie was death. And I guess I saw her in Machete Kills, but I don't remember her in that. But here, she can't emote. And I really, again, want to see the behind the scenes of her looking constipated and waving her hands around to control water. Admittedly, she comes out of the waves here wearing, like, the last place trophy on the Little Mermaid look-or-like contest. (laughs) The sequin green dress and the red hair. I'd be pissed, too. For some reason, she's got heels. Like, talked about Bryce Dallas Howard running in heels in Jurassic World. This woman is swimming in heels throughout this film. Well, she's Atlantean, but why do you need heels underwater? Why do you need shoes? Exactly! But she's not Atlantean. Help me out on this. She's part of the other tribe. And she doesn't live in Atlantis. She's being married into Atlantis, for whatever distinction that means. But they're all Atlantean because they're underwater people that came from King Atlan. But yet, yes, it's from Dolph's kingdom. She's princess of the Zebel tribe, but I think they're all Atlantean as a species, the way Russians and us are still human. Moving on, whatever. She comes out of the waves here after his drinking binge to tell him, hey, you really need to go claim the throne because my fiance is a real dick. And these are like actual... That's how people are being described. He's a total dick, a tool bag. This is the dialogue. She comes up during the big waves. Orm does launch that attack, and Dolph gets to outdrive a wave in a scene that looks like it's right out of The Day After Tomorrow or some other Roland Emmerich film with Tamura Morrison there. I'm like, you can't outdrive a tsunami, and they do drown, and... She's able to, first of all, create an air pocket for the truck by undulating and moving the water away and then able to pull the water out of Tom's lungs because while 
Arthur has the unique power to talk to fish for some reason. Mira has the unique power. She's like Magneto with water. Right. With that red wig, I'm glad she's just water bending instead of hair bending like Medusa and then humans. I don't want to go back there again. <laughs> it is a similar looking wig now that you've said it. Yeah. It is. My wife kept accusing me of making her see another Inhumans film. Yeah. The budget for this wig looks like the budget of that ABC Inhumans TV show, too. I thought this scene with Aquaman loses his dad with the tsunami, I thought this was going to be his come to Jesus moment, realizing the wrong he did with Manta's dad, that he was going to lose his dad here and he was going to be able to have empathy. But no, yeah, they just bring him back to life. They suck that water out of his lung. He is constantly throughout this movie complaining about having to fulfill someone else's destiny. And I never quite get it. He doesn't want to go to Atlantis. Now it's because they killed his mother. Last time, he was mad at his mother that she abandoned him. If you remember Justice League, that was the gripe. Now, we'll see through flashbacks, he eventually realized in his training that his mother never came back to visit him because she was fed to a sea monster by the previous king. All right, let's look at this continuity. Atlana was the queen who came and gave birth to a son that I guess everybody knew about. Like, it's not a secret that she has this bastard kid. Everybody knows. And somehow, while she's this broodmare prisoner for 10 years, she convinces Willem Dafoe's Vulko to go to Maine regularly and be Mr. Miyagi. I mean, they're even going to call it out. Aquaman's going to call him Cobra Kai. And so he's going to train him how to swim and how to fight with a trident and he's going to show off this move that he'll never teach Arthur. He's like, I'll teach you this when you master the trident. It's such a silly move. I'm like, this is the move because I know how movies work. I'm like, this is going to be the move that saves the day, twirling your baton around like you're leading the parade. Yeah, I mean, my God, when Aquaman puts it behind his back, it is a baton twirl. I just wait for him to throw it in the air and catch it again. What a drum major he turned out to be. You're skipping over the best part. Willem Dafoe in a man bun like that i could spend all day on that that's the best yes i'm like is that supposed to be a samurai knot like top knot but it's so silly looking it's great i mean there he is he's in a man bun the guy showed up and did it god give him an oscar for team participation that's awesome thanks defoe no no oscar he's defoning it in here i mean he is really the worst i've ever seen defoe you're slamming everyone's acting i really feel like this is the lucas prequel problems they all are just standing in a green room i feel like yeah you want to see that footage i feel bad for him because i don't know what you act against in this movie you are completely right. I thought the prequels time and time again here, especially when we do get to Atlantis, I'm like, oh, it's Odogunga. Where's Jar Jar? We are going through the planet core. Yeah, let's get to Atlantis because this is a part where I could actually connect with. Like, I do think deep sea photography is very beautiful. I'm drawn to it. In two years, <laughs> we're going to get Avatar 2 and James Cameron has promised that it's all underwater based. Here's a preview. I mean, they're throwing down the gauntlet. Is this going to be ahead of James James Cameron's curve. What do you guys think once we see the jellyfish realm? It's Coruscant. I mean, there's floating cars. 
I really wonder about Aquaman because he's like, I don't want to get in your car. I'll smell like swamp butt. And she's like, that's an improvement. And then he sniffs his armpit and he's like, yeah, it is. <laughs> what the he heck? must smell really bad if he can smell himself underwater. I can smell him. I mean, it's coming <laughs> off the screen. <laughs> you can smell this movie, I think. Yeah, the chum <laughs> is full of this water. But nothing tells me underwater here other than every so often people's hair are floating. They act like they're on land. There's cars, even Arthur's going to be like, why do you bother having a bridge if all your cars float? And I don't feel like she gave a satisfying answer. No, and they're going to have customs and border control. I'm like, where are the people coming from to Atlanta? There's a lot of cars going in and out. There's could be some brine shrimp people in there. See, this is the stuff I'm cracking up, and I just wish this was the movie. Just make it this silly bathtub movie because this is the most entertaining parts. Like thinking about Atlantean customs, and but I have diplomatic immunity, so we could just go around it. Like this is the logistical problems that they thought they had to explain in this film. So are you not allowed to carry fish past the border? I mean, what is the customs? We don't want any of that Pacific Ocean fish here. <laughs> but yeah, she has diplomatic immunity. They show off these laser cannons because lasers make sense underwater. Hydro canyons. It's silly thinking about the logic of this film. Like, I think if a single mer person wanted to swim over that wall, they could dodge those cannons. Those things are huge. They don't seem that agile. We got to see how fast Aquaman and Vulco could swim, right? Because young Aquaman's like, I already know how to swim. Not even close. And <laughs> Aquaman <laughs> is pulling all those Russian sailors up to shore by super swimming with five rafts behind him. Why do you need a car? Why, why do you need to get in a vehicle? I mean, if you're the Flash, do you buy a Mercedes? <laughs> <laughs> All right, so we're all in agreement. Like, I'm really, like, I was so disappointed because I thought they could get this right. I knew I was going to have a lot of problems with the casting and the storyline and what have you, but I could be blown away by a beautiful world. I mean, if this were Blade Runner under the sea, good enough for me. But this stuff, the functionality of it, and even the visual splendor, at its best, it's okay. It's passable, but I'm predicting Avatar 2 will wipe the mat with it. If it ever comes out, you're yeah. right. Yeah. <laughs> But this entire Underworld Kingdom thing, the only thing that I like about it is seeing Jason Momoa in chains on his knees, and that mofo is still strong enough. There's like four people holding the chains, because... Well, just chain the chains to something that can't move. Why have people hold it? I don't know why you don't bolt it to the wall, but you have these people holding it, and he's able to still walk forward and get nose-to-nose -nose with Orm and that bad hair and be like... I accept your challenge that I have no idea what it is. And why is he here? Because he, he's here because the trash all over the world washed up on beaches. He's here to defend the surface from this guy, right? Because if he gets the Ocean Master title, he'll have an army that will kill all the surface dwellers. But he doesn't know about that. Yeah, because Amber Heard told him all this. Oh, all right. Yeah. And I hate to say it, but I did it with Marvel. It's a Marvel problem. And so I got to be consistent. Why doesn't the Justice League get together and just talk about what's going on? Like, why is this just an Aquaman problem when all this trash is coming up all over the world? Just an observation. Call it out with like Thor 2 when you have a universe destructing dark elf and just Thor shows up to save the day. But this seems like a Justice League issue, not just Aquaman. Yeah, at least just show the Flash and Superman CGI them and say they're cleaning it up. 
Well, I think you can make the argument it's only one person's idea. Orm seems to be the only one in on this, so it should only take one of the Justice League to put him down, which is why we have this big arena battle. But the point is, even though Willem Dafoe has been training this guy for 30 years, he is still not qualified to fight Patrick Wilson. (laughs) And I love, love, love that 39-year-old Jason Momoa looks at 45-year-old Patrick Wilson and says, little brother. No, they do not look like Jason Momoa is older than this guy. But on my second viewing, I caught it. Orm doesn't want to kill Aquaman. He thought he would, but he's like, you know, I really don't want to kill you. You're my brother. If you just go away and say you'll never come back, we're good. You just go. And Aquaman should have just gone away and gone on his little Indiana Jones adventure. They have a canister that, because the whole point is the goober for this film, using that (laughs) Spider-Verse term now, is the original, I guess, Atlantis Trident. He has his mom's, but he's got to get a more powerful one, and that will make people recognize him as the king for reasons. So just go on in that adventure. You want to have this sibling rivalry? Fine, but we're going to get this extended fight scene, I guess, so we know that Aquaman's redeemed at the end, that he has his real powers now but he's got a magic triton by then who cares just get on with the film well yeah it's kind of funny you're arguing that there's bloat i agree with you that there is but to cut out all of the stuff that people come for a superhero film the fight should be like the sugar like that's the thing we want to taste here we want to see a big combat the fact that you want to say skip over all of this tells me that you're not invested in the characters or that they haven't staged it very well i think the staging of it is okay i think juan is doing an okay job of creating a sense of epic i do think for me i don't care who wins i don't have any investment in which fish is the best in the sea it does feel like wwe to me though when you've got this audience there of mostly men and king orm comes up and he gets like the theme and everyone's cheering and there's even a scoreboard that lists pros and cons orm's got no cons aquaman's got no pros what movie is this you're doing shakespeare sibling rivalry but then you're gonna throw in a visual joke like this and then you're gonna have goofy pod racing audience i mean sorry gladiator audience doing their weird cheers it is kind of funny when the two collide and create the shockwave and the audience is all stunned and then they just cheer even harder that was wwe that's not funny to me here's the things i like that squid playing the drums wish there's more of that kind of stuff in this movie <laughs> that was great oh great i mean i just wanted a techno version of ringo star at this point octopus's garden i mean like that's the level if you guys call it great nothing here is great it's very not funny it's very not great no the first time i felt like i really got into this film you know this fight goes on aquaman can't win his mom's trident gets smashed and mira shows up to save the day she's got her little fish station wagon that he jumps into they fly away there's a chase and there's like this cool electronic score and it's all neon and i'm like why isn't this the film like give me this don't give me all this murky hand-to-hand combat go thor ragnarok i feel like that is the best way to treat aquaman it's the best way to treat thor and they should have learned that lesson here Because they don't have Jeff Goldblum, because they don't have those writers, because they don't have that sensibility. They're trying to sell us that this stuff matters, it's dramatic, that we on the surface should care about all of that, and they don't have a sense of play and fun. And that is a huge miscalculation in my estimation. To give you my beat on this the first time I watched the film, it wasn't clicking for me, 
but I was still kind of going with it and being pretty neutral on it. I'm wondering, is it me? I went back to see this film a second time to see if I would click with it more a second time on a different day, different mood or something, but I'm just not clicking with it. And I'm thinking the style choices as far as hairdos are just wrong all around, except for Dolph Lundgren and Defoe. No, well, no, that is... <laughs> I love it! Defoe's hairdo is like that drum-playing octopus. It, it works on that level. You're right, I can't get enough. But the movie just becomes a red arrow when two things happen at once. First, the worst Pitbull song ever starts playing <laughs> as he does a cover of Africa. Oh, is that who's responsible for that? Yeah, in a year where Weezer had an amazing comeback with a cover of Africa, and then now we got Pitbull, who I believe his entire career is finding old songs and going, ooh-wee! over that song <laughs> but now he's doing it to some woman doing a bad cover of africa and ooh wee it's unlistenable and i love pitbull i have like four pitbull cds i can't listen to this and then they're on some indiana jones like quest they have to go to the desert to find an underground thing that's going to point them in a direction i mean this is the well of souls right Ooh, this is the crystal skull if you got to compare to indiana <laughs> jones this is no well of souls i was gonna say national treasure too book of secrets maybe they do take a flight with some livestock, just like Indiana Jones did in Temple of Doom. I knew it. There was something in me. Like when I heard Aquaman was happening, I'm like, they're going to put him in the desert because irony and make him a fish out of water. And here it is. Who is this satisfying for? Who is enjoying this endless search of riddles that they have to explain to us as they're hearing them that I never understand what is even the riddle. And they're looking through bottles and getting maps that pointing them to the right place. What's hilarious is they have to activate this little canister with water because the Sahara Desert used to be underwater. It was an ocean. Which is an environmental message. They, they sprinkle that in. Yeah, okay. And you get this hilarious scene where Mara's like, I know how we can get water. I'm going to suck it off your forehead. Take your sweat. Aquaman says he could have just peed on it. Well, you could have just spit on it. And does Mara not have any water in her? Like, uh, it's hilarious seeing her do all these hand motions. But the scene in the desert, at the very least, should be visually appealing because they could actually shoot on location. They might have shot on location. I don't know. But it looks as green screen as the stuff underwater. Yeah, that's the weird thing is at times I'm like, oh, maybe they went to Death Valley or something. And then other times I'm like, is this all on a soundstage? Are they green screening sand dunes behind them? I actually leaned over to my wife at one point and said, how is it that they were able to walk off the shore and leave no footprints? Because there's no footprints following <laughs> them. They're just standing in the middle of something. And I also want to know how James Wan can do some of the camera work he can do. I mean, when there's these fights, the camera goes up and down and 360 degrees. And in ways that no camera can physically move, are those actually humans? Is this all digital? Am I watching a cartoon? I'd love to see the behind the scenes to see what these actors did during these kinds of shots. Yeah, I, I predict you're right. Most of this is happening on a soundstage. It has that kind of feel to it. It feels like they're always in a tank or they're always on a green screen and that it doesn't exist in the real world. And that was an artistic choice. I mean, yeah, they could have gone on location and made us believe that the sand was blowing in their faces, but that would have stood in stark contrast to everything else that's happening underwater. They made the choice that everything we see will buy if the people always feel like 
like they're digitally put into the shot. They shot in Australia. They shot in Morocco. They shot in Canada. It doesn't feel like they left the studio. No, the only time I feel like they're actually somewhere is when they go to Sicily. And even then, it feels like they just found the tourist trap to stand around in. It doesn't feel expansive. It is so stereotypical Sicily. It is full of people who only sell oils, vegetables, and flour. Hey, buy my olive oil and some flowers. And populated by old ladies and nuns. Yeah, well, you know, there's a little truth to that. <laughs> I know when Roy Orbison's Mystery Girl is kicking in, I'm like, wait, why are they doing that? Why is that song playing? Oh, no, they're falling in love? <laughs> <laughs> this is what's happening? I forget we're in Italy. Oh, no, they're really trying to put the hard sell that these two have any chemistry together. Give me a break. That's what that water taken from his forehead was supposed to be. That's this movie's, you know, at the pottery <laughs> wheel. Like, Roman. <laughs> no, it's when they dine over flowers. Literally, Mara buys some flowers, just starts eating the bulbs, and Aquaman just joins right in. Oh my god. We're covering the M. Night series on our donation feed. That's a scene out of The Happening, isn't it? Oh no, come on. This is straight out of Lady in the Tramp, the spaghetti eating scene. This is so romantic. Jason Momoa is at least giving a smirk. I've seen him in Game of Thrones. It's not like the Bruce Willis situation where he can't not smile. I don't know if he's getting baked off the set and then coming <laughs> in and just stoned throughout all of this. He looks like he knows what he's doing and that it's a laugh when he's eating the rose bulb. But everybody around him thinks they're in this high Shakespearean drama. And so he feels like he knows what movie he's in. And Amber Heard is like, this is important. Yeah, this film feels like it's two different things mashed together. At one point, a little girl is going to hand Mira a book about Pinocchio. And we saw earlier Aquaman and Mira escape by going into the mouth of a whale. And Aquaman says, oh, I got that from Pinocchio. And then she's like, you based this off a storybook? And I got it actually off of a movie. I'm like, oh, so this is going to play something, this Pinocchio theme? No, it's just for this joke that comes 10 minutes after the whale scene. It never comes back. That he is so stupid that he doesn't even know what a book really is. You're like, <laughs> I didn't get it from a book. I got it from the movie. Yeah, that makes it hard for me to like any hero. Anybody playing it that's so anti-intellectual and dumb, like that is already kind of a turn off. It's the fact that the actors can't sell this moment. I think that there were actors that could. I mean, I never blamed Hemsworth for the jokes that clunked in Thor. What's interesting, I'm going to challenge you a little bit here, Arnie, because you have given green lights to Thor, to Green Lantern. We have seen this crap before. You hate this. What is the difference? I don't hate this. I'm laughing at it, but I'm merely disconnected from it. And a big problem with it is twofold. First, the visual style. I mean, again, the fact that nothing has a physicality to it, including the actors. And B, yeah, the two leads are as dry as the Sahara here. I mean, Green Lantern, when they were in space, had the same visual problem. So I'm going to call bullshit on that. The thing is, you like Ryan Reynolds and you don't like Jason Momoa. That is the only difference. I like Jason Momoa in Game of Thrones, but I came into this movie thinking I liked Amber Heard and I thought I liked Jason Momoa. I thought his performance in Justice League didn't fit with that movie, but in the trailers, Jason Momoa came off like he was going to be a really good Aquaman. And here, he's the best thing in this movie. All these complaints we're raising, Jason Momoa fans are not having because they like seeing him do all this silliness. I kind of like Jason 
Jason Momoa in this. It's everyone around him who's letting him down. I'll agree with that. He needed to be paired with someone that could help him be a better dramatic actor, and he doesn't have that in this film. No, I think as far as Aquaman goes, I like the look they went with for Aquaman. I like that they went with a Pacific Islander kind of look instead of the blonde-haired Aquaman that was from the Super Friends. I think he knows what movie he's in, and he's having fun with the role. There's some good action. Here in Sicily is where Black Manta shows back up. I don't understand why somebody gives you a gun of a technology you don't know, and you immediately think, oh, that's a big gun. I'm going to turn it into a hat. I thought they were just going to give him the outfit, but yeah. no, we, yeah, we got to get a whole montage of him taking the gun apart and building it into a helmet. I don't want giant laser plasma beams right next to my face like that. That seems very dangerous. They even justify why the hat is so big or the yes. helmet is so big, because if it's a smaller <laughs> helmet, it's going to burn his face off. Yeah. He doesn't know this technology. It's powered by slime. Do you notice he takes a gun apart? Yes. There's like slime in it. It's like <laughs> ectoplasm. He has no idea what he's doing. And he's big in fashion. He's going to airbrush the white armor black so he could be Black Manta. But I like the action here. It is a good action scene chase. And the camera work, I have no idea how they're doing it. But it really gives me a sense of place when we do this huge zoom away from Jason Momoa over to Amber Heard and see the chase and then we pull way back like two city blocks back and see Jason Momoa and Manta fighting again. There's good stuff in this movie and if they did recast Amber Heard and possibly Ocean Master, this movie could very well be a Green Arrow. I enjoy this fight scene. Again, this is more the stuff I wish they were just going with. Wine, daggers, <laughs> that a shapeshifter like creates. That's the stuff I want. And she does it like she's Dark Phoenix, doesn't she? Like, yes, it's hilarious. It's really taking me back to X3 when she throws back and all the wine goes forward. <laughs> But you talk about that camera work, which it's impossible to not notice. I'm like, uh, it's kind of pulling me out, but at least it's visually interesting. They're finding some way to keep this chase that's going on in two different areas by having those long zooms and those long pullouts from character to character. It's at least interesting to watch. I like watching Captain Merck run through walls and pursuing her. I thought there was some stunt work that was compelling here. But when you got to end that with him putting his head in a toilet, that's where the whole movie's going. They can't save it from itself. I really would like to see the conclusion of that toilet scene because that guy can't take his head out of the toilet or he'll suffocate. So how in the world did he ever leave the toilet? I don't think he does. And I don't think this movie does. <laughs> Manta. How did he even get knocked out of the fight? He just kind of fell off a cliff. He is so dumb because he hits Aquaman with those lasers full blast and Aquaman is burned and then he recharges. We get to see the gun charge. He has target locked. Fire again, kill Aquaman. No, I'm going to pull out a sword and do a sword fight instead of the move that works. When he finally fires again, Aquaman has thrown a bolo at him of these chains and it explodes in his face and he falls off a cliff. Okay. But we do go back under the sea as Patrick Wilson is amassing these various kingdoms of which I don't understand. One is the fisherman, which is actually just fishmen. Dijbon Hansau is actually that guy that's the king that's been mo-capped into what looks like a sea monkey. Yeah, he kills the philosopher fisher king and <laughs> takes the princess hostage. And so he has his third army and... 
this army? Am I wrong? Do they literally have sharks with freaking lasers on their heads? I love it. I love the seahorse dragon things that they're riding. Again, this is what an Aquaman movie should be. And they're just not going to play it up. They're embarrassed by it. They shouldn't be. That is what makes Aquaman Aquaman. Again, it all comes with directorial choices. There are ways of allowing us to laugh along with it, and then there are ways of just making people look foolish. And most of the time, that's what's happening here, is you have good actors looking completely detached amid a bunch of not-quite-convincing special effects doing silly things. I don't know what an Ocean Master is. I don't know why he's attacking his own kingdoms when he claims he wants to hurt the surface. The fact that he's going to get into a bitch match with the crab, I mean, this is just hilarious. <laughs> Bad. A crab voiced by Jean Rise Davies. Yeah, I just I love it. And we're not being asked to laugh at that. That is the part we don't laugh at. The funny part is people taking selfies and pink phones and putting their heads in the toilet. And then the non-funny stuff is John Reese davies as Sea Life. I don't get it. How could they not see what the property is? It's like they don't get it. Meanwhile, Aquaman has this bottle. They literally found a message in a bottle when they were in the Sahara that led them to Sicily. And this hologram message, only in the hands of the true king can the thing be revealed. So they happen to go to some statues that are crumbling. They are missing arms and everything. They are so lucky that Romulus still has the arm that needs to hold the bottle and no back of his head so they can see through the bottle. Well, that's the giveaway. Like, Stuart, how dare you say Aquaman's anti-intellectual? He knows his Greek myth. Also, there's only one of the statues facing the ocean. That's probably the one you put the bottle in. <laughs> I don't even know why you would hide where the trident is. It's the sword in the stone. No one can pull it out unless they're worthy. Literally, we're going to be told that by Nicole Kidman later on, that only the king could get that trident. So it doesn't matter. You could have it out in the open. Only the king could get it. Yeah, so this Easter egg hunt has just been a big lark. It's been an incredibly long one, and one that I would argue, aside from a few running through wall shots, hasn't been a whole lot of fun, but it has been a complete waste of time. Yeah, I agree. This movie, if they tightened it up and cut like an hour out of it of going to the Sahara and jumping out of planes and, oh, redheads, and going to stereotypical Sicily, if you just said from Volko, here, Go to this place with the devolved fish people and get the trident. It's going to be hard. It would be so much better because this is all a bunch of pointless things that just seem to exist to have different locations. And I know, again, Indiana Jones, James Bond, they do that. And even the Fast and Furious movies have started becoming globetrotting and going to a couple different locations. I think James Wan did this to have different visual elements and try to make different scenes of it feel different. But you gotta have a reason why you're chasing down the goober other than you go to point A to be told to go to point B. And again, I need to be on my feet applauding for something more than scallops. I mean, <laughs> and you need to give me something that isn't a joke. I think they finally get it when we get to the Kingdom of the Trench. They have these sea monsters. When this turns into a horror movie? Yeah, when James Wan gets back into that groove of what made him famous and has these really scary frogmen things hopping up on a stolen boat as they're looking for the secret beach or whatever. One visual for me that really works, you know, he can see underwater. He doesn't need the red flare, but boy, does it look cool when he's diving in the 
depths, and we can see that whole swarm around him of gnashing teeth and fins. Yes, it looks beautiful, the colors, and yeah, this moment where they dive off that boat, and you got that red glow, and you see the swarm just going around him. Why isn't the movie more of this? Like, it is really gorgeous, and especially on IMAX. This is where I'm like... This is all formatted for IMAX. I'm seeing twice as much vertically of this stuff. The red glow. I think he's doing it because he says that the trench people don't like the light. So they're keeping their distance because the light hurts their eyes. Yeah, they're like those really deep ocean fish that glow in the dark and that are blind. So I guess you get that light in their face. They go crazy. Yeah, those fish are scary too. The horror of my dreams all lie underneath the ocean. There's something there, but not when one's peeling off its head and you find out it's actually Nicole Kidman. Oh, I was cracking up because, yeah, you see this, like, lobster monster come and take Mare. I'm like, ooh, that's just a really bad costume that someone's in. They couldn't CGI that character. She's wearing a predator mask. Yes. And then I'm like, oh, okay, that's the mom. You don't have to hide the fact and slowly have her take off the shrimp arm and the predator head. We know it's Nicole Kidman. Absolutely. Especially, I mean, the body is too svelte to be a guy. (laughs) But I would love to be a fly on the wall at dinner with Nicole Kidman and Michelle Pfeiffer, where they both get together and like, so what's it like being the old lady trapped in the quantum realm in a superhero movie in 2018? They just ant-manned this, where, oh, your mother is dead. She died stopping a nuclear bomb. And no, she's just trapped in the quantum realm and can't escape, and you gotta go in there and save her. And Nicole Kidman is trapped in the trench and can't escape. And this movie is trying to tell us all of a sudden it's all about reconnecting with your mother. That hasn't been the discussion for any of this, and God knows Jason Momoa is not going to be able to dramatically give you the hug that you need to feel this moment. I don't know what actor can make you feel this moment with Nicole Kidman with a fish fin on her back. like <laughs> And a claw hand. <laughs> it reminded me of Clawful from He-Man. You're saying, oh my gosh, I can't believe what the kind of conversation would they have about this in Ant-Man. I'm wondering what kind of conversation any actor had when they had to go home. Wow. Defoe had to talk about his top knot that he's wearing, how Nicole Kidman had to tell her family about this fish costume she's going to wear. It's embarrassing for everyone. Here's a paraphrase, Arnie. Here's the conversation. Isn't it horrible what Hollywood has become? I came into this because I wanted to win an Oscar and do dramatic work, and now I'm wearing a fish outfit. (laughs) Yeah, and when you get to the final stage of hell, you're Julie Andrews and the voice of a giant sea monster. The seas are alive with the voice of a kraken. Help me understand. Understand, she would not come back for a cameo for Mary Poppins Returns, but she's going to show up for this? I didn't even know it was Julie Andrews. It doesn't need to be Julie Andrews. I do like the design of this giant monster. Lovecraftian. Again, I think about that Dunwich Horror at the beginning, and I think this is an audition tape. Like, what he really wants to do is the (laughs) Dunwich Horror, and the best things in this movie reference those visual ideas. Yeah, because we don't even really see her when he goes to get the scepter. We just see tentacles. It's not till later when he shows up writing on the back. What is her name? Catherine the Kraken? I I feel like they didn't want to say Kraken, so they came up with some word. One of the writers on this did write the sequel to the the Clash of the Titans. So I do think they probably had to keep crossing off Release the Kraken. Like he just, they just keep wanting to say it. I was waiting for that line in the film. Yeah. This is where, I mean, they've mentioned Arthur and everything before, but when he takes that trident and I'm like, oh my God, it's the sword in the stone. Didn't we already have a failed King Arthur movie this year? I think 
that was last year, wasn't it? The King Arthur. I but saw King Arthur was last year. There's some kid in the stone shit next month. But when he booked that out and somehow with the trident comes an outfit not even Jason Momoa can pull off. They tried their <laughs> damn best. They took the orange and green. They tried to make it look like chain mail armor or something. But you can't pull off orange and green. It's just not in style this year. Or any year. They have to do it. They have to reference the Aquaman that 80% of the audience only knows. It's not Aquaman until you have an orange top and a green bottom. And you're right. They have tried to dude it up as best they can. But at the end of the day, this is not looking so hot. They never put Hawkeye in a purple hat. They never go to the most ridiculous of outfits. I think you could redesign Aquaman to not have the orange and green. I didn't miss it in Justice League. And I'm just going to say, like, it's nice that they, they want to make a case for diplomacy. That, you know, I do think we could take that lesson right now of talking is more important than fighting. But Momoa is not that vehicle to do that. The <laughs> fact that he is able to talk to Karen the sea monster is the reason why she doesn't kill him and give that outfit too and the fact at the end of the day that he's going to tell patrick wilson let's talk later as he's hauled away to jail this is not the guy to talk this is not the guy that is going to orate and that's why they give us a 20 minute fight scene before they decide to talk which again this is more of what i want seeing sharks fighting stingrays and giant crabs and jason momoa coming up through the surface with the yeah this giant cthulhu monster this is what the aquaman man movie should be diplomacy is great i'm all for it in the real world but yeah i want the crazy sea battle I thought that the fact that he was a half-breed should have mattered. That he's surf and turf means that they should have gone. And I know they go up, like Mara says, fight him in your realm. But, like, there needed to be a real reason why he was on the surface. Like, he was invading the surface or something. Yes. The whole thing is he wants to attack the surface. And this climactic battle with this huge army is going up against John Rice davies crab people. Shouldn't he be protecting the surface? Shouldn't they be, like, ready to kill all the humans when Aquaman shows? up not almost three quarters of the way to killing the humans that's what's so bizarre is when you get the final fight between ocean master and aquaman it's like on a atlantean submarine that's surfaced and there's nothing around but like as the fight goes on as this ending goes on more and more characters pop up it's like hey cgi guys we got some more money put some more fish people floating on the surface to watch this why do people who breathe underwater need a submarine? <laughs> <laughs> so they can go to the surface and watch Aquaman fight. And he's not going to fight. You keep saying he's going to fight. He does the cool water ballet move of spinning the baton <laughs> and the fight is over. And next up, we're going to do a real Camp David summit with me and you in jail. <laughs> What? Give him a good view. <laughs> and I thought for sure Willem Dafoe was going to die in this film. Now, I don't know if Volko is a major character from the comics who's going to have more to do later or why you keep him alive. I know Dafoe wanted to die in this movie. <laughs> <laughs> he did on screen. I mean, his performance floats in the fish tank. But early during the first battle, he's like... I promised the queen I wouldn't let anything happen to him. This is not a fight. It's an execution. I thought for sure he was going to rush it. I mean, we've seen this already this year. Done better in Black Panther, right? 
the half-brother coming to challenge the throne and all that, and you have to fight for the kingdom. The way Forrest Whitaker steps in between Killmonger and Black Panther and he gets killed, I thought for sure Volko was going to step in the way. And out of nowhere, in the middle of the movie, Ocean Master's like, Volko, you've been working against me, training him his whole life. How did Orm just figure this out? I thought this was like common knowledge. And so now Volko's getting arrested? And not killed. I mean, he just killed the fisherman, but he didn't kill Volko. Yeah, if you're looking for a consistency as to why people are doing what they're doing, good luck. Watching this the second time, the week I did, I'm like, is Volko Jim Mattis and Ocean Master is Trump? Because Ocean Master says, you don't agree with what I'm doing. And Volko says... I've given you my opinion, but I'll stand by you, King, as always. Unlike Mattis, who walked out, and then he's like, that's not enough. Arrest him, but give him a view. What is the arc here? I don't even understand how this stuff happened, and I don't understand why there wasn't a sacrifice, why Volko didn't sacrifice himself for Aquaman to escape the first time, and then why he holds Mira back in this second duel and be like, no, he must do it alone. I don't understand anything Defoe's character is doing in this. You need to have some in as to why people on land would care about this battle. I thought what they had told us was there's something beautiful about Aquaman because he's a hybrid of both realms and the fact that he lives above and can go below will have something that matters. But in fact, the only thing that wins the fight is a baton twirl. And the fight ends after the baton twirl. Momoa goes to stab Ocean Master in the throat, but stops a hair short. It's the Mr. Miyagi maneuver from Karate Kid 2. It's every action film where I'm not going to kill because I'm not the bad guy. It's more than just Karate Kid. But Ocean Master's troops... Get their guns ready. Like, if he kills Ocean Master, we're going to kill him. It doesn't matter. He's bulletproof. Well, no, they have lasers. And we've seen that their lasers can hurt him. But isn't it if he kills Ocean Master, he's your rightful king? So he shows mercy? I'm really confused. And then, yes, Nicole Kidman walks out. That's when I really get the Loki vibe is when Ocean Master kneels to Nicole Kidman and is like, Mother... But you know what I thought? This whole movie has told me Arthur is not a king. Arthur doesn't want to be a king. He wants to go back to land and drink beer with biker dudes. And Mira many times is like, good, you would be a bad king. And despite their passionate, I use that term loosely, kiss before the fight where she wraps her leg around him. I mean, that's a really sexy kiss below the neck and above the neck. I'm getting nothing from these actors. I thought for sure the way this movie would end when Orm kneels and is like, my queen. I'm like, this is the out, right? Aquaman can go back and hang with Justice League and Nicole Kidman's going to be the ruler. But no, all hail King Arthur. I'm like, the problem is we're told repeatedly. How many times do they say the word half-breed in this film? Like it's every other word it feels like. Or mongrel. Yes, that we're told repeatedly Aquaman is the bridge between the surface world and the ocean world, except we never get to see how the surface world is reacting, except a couple of cable news segments that we'll see. And I think that's just to set up a mid credit stinger at the end here. But I want to know, oh, are people cheering? Yay, Aquaman, you saved us from all the trash watching upon the shore. We don't see how surface dwellers are reacting to it. Yeah, it's an unholy mixture. Like, I, I don't feel like more people are going to be running into the surf trying to find a mate. You know, like, <laughs> we don't want to see more of this. We don't want to have more aqua babies if this is what it's going to look like. He's not my king. 
And then, yes, we end with Tamura Morrison. Every day, he's gone out at sunrise because... It's romantic. Atlana said, when it's safe, I'll return at sunrise. So if it's safe midday, she's going to wait 18 hours and return at sunrise. (laughs) And finally, he goes out one day, and there she is, and they kiss. And despite the fact that they're all 25, 30 years older, they still love each other. More convincing than that kiss that Aquaman and Mera have. Admittedly. And sequel, I mean, it's probably going to happen because look at that Chinese box office, but mid-credits... And I was shocked because I thought the final fight, thought, okay, we're taking Ocean Master to jail and Black Manta's going to pop up and maybe kill Volko or kill Nicole Kidman. So we got that final fight. No. (laughs) Like the end of Lethal Weapon where the guy grabs the gun and goes after. Something. I mean, this thing rips off every other film. Why not? But instead, we're going to rip off Castaway and Black Black Manta's just sitting on a raft floating in the ocean. He wasn't that far offshore. Why is he floating in the ocean? He was right next to Sicily. Uh, He's wherever we need him. And uh, yeah, just conveniently promising a sequel in which he and the marine biologist from cable news, Stephen Shin, I don't know if that's going to turn into some character, but... That is a character. Randall Park from, yeah, Ant-Man and the Wasp. Yep. And he seemed like the biggest lunatic on news saying, the Lansons are coming. And even the broad Broadcasters are like, you're a nut job. I don't know why we keep having you on. But at the end, he's the one who brought Manta back and Manta will give him the location of Atlantis. I guess I had to look him up. He's a very minor DC character, but they're being set up like, oh my God, this is the guy who's coming back. Like they did Sinestro at the end of Green Lantern, but this guy doesn't appear to be that much. Oh, I was thinking Green Lantern. (laughs) Were you thinking Green Arrow though? Jacob Stewart, do you recommend... Aquaman. Jacob. I mean, you mentioned how much Halfbreed comes up during this film, and I feel like that's a pretty good description about my feelings for this. It's half unintentionally fun, campy film, and then half, oh, we're going to take this seriously about a, these underwater little mermaids floating around, and it's not good. Pick a direction. Either just make a bad film or, you know, make a campy, fun film. Thor Ragnarok, something in that vein. These fantasy characters, I don't know. If you're going to win me over, that's the route you got to go because I'm not going to buy into the serious D&D campaign where I get invested in all of these characters type film. They're fish people. Let's have some fun with that. Show more of that octopus playing the drums. And so that's where I was conflicted. I'm like, this was kind of fun at times. Maybe kids would like this. And I took my kids. So 12-year-old, 8-year-old, what was your opinion of this film? How many stars would you give it out of 10? Both of them, three stars. We liked the sea animals. That's it. (laughs) Like, they weren't even enjoying it. I think my (laughs) wife enjoyed it the most. She liked it a little bit more than I did, but I got to come down as a not recommend. It's not a dark red arrow. It's not as red as that flare, but it's a not recommend. Stuart, bright lights, corny jokes, flashes of skin among the fishes. That is a Las Vegas water review. <laughs> that is not an epic origin story for a character we're expected to follow in umpteen sequels. They have not done their job in telling us why I should care about Aquaman. And frankly, audiences today are more savvy. We have too many superhero movies outright now to know that this doesn't pass the smell test. Quite literally, there's something really fishy in this chum of a movie. At best, it is a tourniquet on the DC movie universe. They were hemorrhaging with all the people walking away and all the problems they've had getting their characters onto the screen. You could say that, yeah, they succeeded in taking their most problematic
problematic one, plugging him into some epic, expensive set pieces, and after two hours, calling it a character arc. But I'm not going to declare that patient healthy because he didn't bleed out. This story is still more skeleton than living, breathing creation, and they didn't find a cast that could bring it to life. I mean, all of these actors look miserable in their outfits, going through the motions. A fight scene or two, but otherwise, I think this is a complete wash. And I'm going to give it a mild not recommend also. The thing is, it checks a lot of boxes for superhero movie. And I'm it's not, again, your average origin story. It reminded me in many ways of Wonder Woman, about how you had this person throughout their life learning to train, learning to fight as a young person, having these abilities, and then finally having a call where they have to go and become superheroic. But it just does everything in such a sterile way. But James Wan, I do want to compliment his visuals in this film. I think the CGI camera work is inventive and unlike things I've seen outside of other James Wan films. It does remind me of some of his camera work in Fast and Furious 7, but it brings a new dynamic to a superhero movie in that I really have a sense of place and distance. A lot of times when you see something like the Black Manta fight while Mira's being chased by the soldiers, you'd cut back and forth. I'd have no idea where these are in relation to each other. I get that from Juan. Yeah, I'm a little confused, though, because you were also saying you felt like it all looked hokey with all of the people standing against green screen. That's when the camera wasn't moving in a fight. When they're just standing around talking, it always looks green screen. But when they're fighting and that camera's moving, I don't know if it's all CGI or not. I don't know how he did it, but it's exciting. Okay, so what you are praising specifically are the stunts and the fights. Specifically, the camera work during the stunts and the fights, as the stunts and the fights themselves are merely okay. I've praised his... 360s and 720s throughout the review. But that is not enough to glue this movie together. And I can't decide. Did Juan focus too much on the technical and not enough on the performance, thinking like George Lucas, it could all be fixed in post? Or was he saddled with some casting choices, specifically Amber Heard, chosen before he got involved, and now this is the lead of his movie? Yeah, that can't have helped. And he did get to bring in other actors who have been good in other roles. Patrick Wilson, I've liked him and stuff. I am a Defoe fan. I think Defoe has been really good even in other superhero movies. Oh yeah, he is Green Goblin. Was it any other superhero movies or just that one? Defoe's having an awesome streak. I just saw him play Vincent Van Gogh in the Florida Project last year. Don't let this movie get in your way of that opinion. He's a great actor. Right. He's miscast and he's not giving a good performance here. But in the end, it's just a we cannot recommend. They could have pulled this over the line. I think they had elements. Could it have been better than Wonder Woman? Probably not. Could it have at least been as good as Batman v Superman or Man of Steel? It could have. Instead, it's the second worst film of the DC universe with Justice League still being slightly worse. I can't believe you think that's the worst one. I mean, Suicide Squad for me, still. I recommended Suicide Squad. Oh my God. And I stand by it. I've watched Suicide Squad several times since theaters. Aquaman and Justice League? Uh-uh. I think the problem is systemic. I don't think that we're seeing any DC movie that doesn't have these huge tonal problems and this cluttering. It's They aren't getting as good a quality actors as Marvel is. They're losing the fight. And you can say, oh, we're being biased towards one. I don't have any allegiance 
to one brand of comic over another. If anything, I know the DC characters more. I'm rooting for them, but they are being let down by the choices that are being made behind the scenes. And I know that some DC fans are going to call me a Marvel shill. And in comics, I do like Marvel better than DC, but I've recommended a lot of DC films and I like DC characters as well. I really like the Nolan Dark Knight, the Christopher Reeves Superman films, and I've given a pass to most of the DC Extended Universe films here. I know I'm going to be called it no matter what I say right now, but it's not that it's DC, it's that it's not a good movie. No, if you want me to like a character, stop having him complain that he's got to go do something. I, what is there to like about Aquaman? He never wants anything. That is kind of the Marvel model, is you give them real human problems, and that's just not a DC thing. Watching this, and I'm watching all these crazy animals, I'm like, ah, look at that octopus playing drums, I love that little part. I took me back to Man of Steel, which I recommended that film, it's fine. But the best part, like the time I am most excited in that film is, hey, look, we're just going to have Jor-El ride some crazy dragons on Krypton. If you're going to go fantasy, like just embrace that aesthetic. And DC, you can't do the Marvel thing, at least in, in the cinema. We've seen that over and over and over. They got to find some kind of niche. And so <laughs> I can't believe I'm saying this, but go more Silver Age. Just go crazier with the fantasy stuff. Maybe they could exceed there. Get rid of Zack Snyder. He should not be shaped in this universe. I agree with that one. I think they did. I think he's producer in name only. I don't know that he had a lot of input. This still looks, the color palette still looks Zack Snyder. And there are still people who say release the Snyder cut and he's teasing on Twitter that it exists for Justice League. But hey, if this didn't work for us, they have 24 more chances to get it right. They have announced 24 films in various stages of production. Can't wait for Shazam! Well, Shazam, God, could that actually be the best DC Universe <laughs> film? I don't even know if it's in the universe, but my God, it's actually looking kind of fun. Yeah, I think fun is what, that's what Aquaman declares when he finally becomes the king. This will be fun. Well, it wasn't, but yeah, Shazam could be fun because obviously they have a really good hook there with the child that becomes the superhero. I think that will appeal to children and people's inner child. I think that is an irresistible concept that that could make that film the 21st century big. It, they could be able to do what Tom Hanks did in the 80s. And I like the lead actor. He was great on that show, Chuck. I watched every episode of Chuck. I think he can pull off dumbfounded heroics. And then in October next year, is this in the DC Expanded Universe? The Joker film that does not have Jared Leto, but instead has Joaquin Phoenix? Set in like the 70s, I have no idea what's going on with this film. I'm excited to see it because it's Joaquin Phoenix being the Joker, but I don't care if it's associated as long as it's good. Yeah, Joaquin Phoenix, I'll see him do anything. He's had also a great run recently, and I think his performance alone. I want to see him do Joker. I don't really care what the movie is. I'm intrigued. You guys like it when your favorite actors slum it in makeup for superhero roles? I don't know. I think he's going to elevate it. I don't see this movie from the few seconds of footage they've shown. It doesn't look like they're slumming it. It looks like this is a return to a Nolan-esque type storytelling. And then filming, I guess, February 2020, Harley Quinn, Margot Robbie returns in Birds of Prey. That was a TV series, right? I remember women walking around in lingerie declaring themselves Batman's bitches. <laughs> no, that is not quite what it was, but it did only last for five episodes. Okay. Then three months after that, June of 2020, Wonder Woman 84. Makes me wonder if we'll see a D.H. Tamura Morrison or something in there because Aquaman's start took place in the mid-80s too. 
man, they're wait till 2020. I thought they'd want to get one quicker. It's been delayed. It was coming out next Thanksgiving, and for reasons unknown, it will now be a summer movie. Yeah, I had no idea it was 2020 until I looked it up. I really thought we were discussing Wonder Woman shortly after Shazam. Yeah. And then, in various stages of production... Let me cue up the laugh track. <laughs> I am going to rapid-fire these, and you guys give me, like, two-word responses. Flash. I hate the actor. Nope. Suicide Squad 2, written and possibly directed by James Gunn. Open to it. Never want to see them again. The Batman, directed by Matt Reeves, may or may not be Affleck. Ambivalent. I think Batman is where DC has always excelled. Batgirl. Uh, maybe. Who's involved? <laughs> it was Joss Whedon at one point, but he's long gone. Okay, because unfortunately my go-to is Alicia Silverstone, and that is an instant <laughs> no. Green Lantern Corps. No. no. The New Gods. Love those comics. They're going to destroy it in a movie. We have that Masters of the Universe movie. That's as, as new gods as they tried it before. I don't have a lot of faith that they'll get it right. I think they got a really cool director on that, though. Who's connected? Ava DuVernay, who did Wrinkle in Time? Yeah, that's right. Don't put Wrinkle in Time on her. She's made better movies than that. Yeah, and that's complicated material she had to tackle. And new gods can get really complicated. Yeah, yeah, she political. I mean, her documentary, The 13th. Okay, that's who it is. All right. Yeah, if she can bring in some realism and something that's thorny, then I'll be okay with DC going dark still. Blackhawk, possibly directed by Steven Spielberg. The World War II team? Yes, Spielberg himself has expressed interest in developing the World War II superhero movie for DC. I would say bring in Spielberg if you're going to totally revamp this DC universe. Let him decide all of the creative decisions. Yeah. Get rid of Snyder, replace him with Spielberg. You can't go wrong. Uh, replace Snyder with Dolph Lundgren. Just get rid of Snyder. <laughs> You've been Dolphed and it's better. <laughs> yes. Then here, I don't think this one's really happening, but it's still on a list. Jared Leto's Joker solo film. I think that was kind of replaced by Joaquin Phoenix's, but yeah, he was the biggest disappointment I think so far they've had in that I thought, what a great choice. What a great body tat look. And then what he did in Suicide Squad was completely worthless. Did he do anything? They cut everything from him. Yeah. I mean, that's my point is we don't need a Joker movie solo. We needed him in Suicide Squad. And then they also say a Joker Harley Quinn movie. Yeah, of course. They got to do that. Again, that was Suicide Squad. You had your chance. <laughs> Supergirl. You know, again, my associations are bad movies. Yeah, I don't have a problem with any of these characters as far as telling a story with them. It, it all depends on the team and DC's record, which isn't great. Nightwing. That's the Robin everyone likes, right? He's like the hip, sexy one. Yeah, that's Dick Grayson when he grows up. I would like to see Robin get cool. Yeah, I'll say yes on that. He's already doing it on the Titans TV series, right? <laughs> He's not getting cool. Why are you trying to undercut everything that I'm suggesting <laughs> when I show enthusiasm? All right, then. That sucks. No, I actually am hearing good things about the Titans TV series. Ah, uh, that's the one that said Batman, right? Yeah. No, I don't want to see that. Justice League Dark. Again, another comic book concept I like, and I think you'd like this, Stuart. It's just all the magic users. It's Constantine and Swamp Thing. Like, the magic users and monsters and supernatural characters form their own Justice League to fight other magic stuff. I like the comics. Guillermo del Toro had been working on it. Yeah, I would have loved that. I feel like if you can get someone like Guillermo, I'd want a Swamp Thing. Gotham City Sirens. 
They just want Margot Robbie to be in a bunch of films in short shorts. Yeah, that's Harley Quinn, Catwoman, and Poison Ivy. Pass. Yeah, they're trying to build a whole universe around what Margot Robbie did in Suicide Squad. They're teasing that Harley Quinn and Poison Ivy might have an affair in it. Yeah, but I think Poison Ivy, it is not continuity that she's at least bisexual, if not a lesbian. Blue Beetle. Uh, I mean, that is DC's Spider-Man, more or less. It, more tech Spider-Man, but mm, I could see why they'd want to do that. When I was researching Teen Titans Go, I actually grew to like that character. Yeah, no, the, he's got a big following. Here's one that I think could work in the vein of Shazam. Plastic Man. No. I'm just remembering the Wachowski script from 20 years ago. That for what? Jim Carrey. It was really terrible. I just remember the 70s cartoon where every episode he got in trouble and they were going to melt him. Then, theoretically on the docket, I don't think so. Man of Steel 3. Mm. I mean, they'll come back to Superman at some point. I don't know if it's going to be Henry Cavill, though. Deathstroke solo film. Who's Deathstroke? He showed up with Lex Luthor at the end of Justice League. Oh, the fake Deadpool. <laughs> yeah. No. I know. It's a Teen Titan joke. <laughs> yeah. Slade. Yeah. Okay. You're going to name a bunch of characters and I have no association. I look at who's bringing it. That to me is way more important than the characters themselves. We've seen in many cases, stupid characters can have cool movies. Guardians of the Galaxy. Right. And now The Rock has been cast as Black Adam. Yeah, Shazam villain. So if that movie's popular, I could see that one taking off. And two more, Lobo, who I know is like this dark space bounty hunter. Again, if, if they go with the more comedic route, it could work. He worships a dolphin that floats through space. That's his god. Okay. <laughs> and finally, the Cyborg solo film. Oh, poor Cyborg. Man, did you see Cyborg in the Doom Patrol TV series? trailer no <laughs> real downgrade looks like they've taped some foil to an actor <laughs> i liked him in teen titans go i'll leave it at that yeah having rewatched justice league i am not anxious to see that character return to the screen but come on 24 films in development if i were a betting man i'd say uh seven of them will actually happen I think that they need to get their act together. I mean, DC, and I don't think they need to be told that. I think DC knows that they have some random hits that are happening. This movie, for whatever we've said with three red arrows, is going to be deemed a success. They're going to keep pursuing Aquaman, and they're going to keep pursuing Wonder Woman, and they're going to try to somehow stitch the other characters, the actors that haven't walked away or just not hit with the audiences. They'll find a way to keep trying to reinvent this because the characters are too iconic to throw away complete. Agreed. And with the superhero movies making such bank at the box office worldwide and domestically, as well as, yeah, Aquaman's huge China opening, I think they're being ballsy. I think that they're saying, screw this shared universe thing, and that they're just going to go off and try to make good films and not care as much how they're connected anymore. I think that's why we can get a Joaquin Phoenix Joker film and a non-Affleck Batman film. And I'm fine with that. Yeah, give me a good story, and I'll enjoy that. And I only worry about continuity because I'm on this podcast where we have to worry about and discuss it. But yeah, you give me a good film, I'm not going to be too upset that it doesn't tie into the Justice League. Yeah, if England's leaving the European Union and we're building walls and cutting up, then stop creating connected <laughs> universes. We can have standalone characters having standalone adventures and we don't need to keep merging them into mass teams. That era is over. We're done with the teams. Give me the solo. Yeah, I think that Marvel's hit facing that. I'm sure there will be another Avengers film, but Avengers 4 feels like the end of an 11-year run that everybody has tried to emulate with their connected universes. Everybody's trying to launch them, and it's just not going well. And the second most successful one is M. Night, which is crazy. <laughs> 
Well, hey, we're getting the Transformers next week. They keep chugging along as well. They're not going to let that concept go. They're going to give Bumblebee his own standalone movie. I'm going to just spoil something right now. Whether or not I recommend it. Best Transformers movie ever. (laughs) Oh, wow. Which doesn't necessarily mean it's even a green arrow. It doesn't. Meanwhile, is Last Airbender the worst M. Night film ever? We're going to find out this Friday as part of our gold donation series continuing leading up to Glass. I'm excited for Glass. I'm not so excited for Last Airbender, but I've never seen the Avatar cartoon. Jacob, I'm going to have to look to you for that one and see how faithful the movie is to it. But you can hear that as well as so many other reviews as part of our donation drive. And today is Christmas. Merry Christmas to all of our listeners. Sorry for the cold. Sorry for Nicole. Yeah, and Nicole. (laughs) She was so bad. It's bad when Dolph outdoes Nicole Kidman. <laughs> he outdid everyone. And Nicole Kidman has that other movie that's getting such acclaim right now where she transformed herself completely. That's why. It's because she made herself ugly. So give her an Oscar. Yeah. yeah. She won it with a nose before. Yeah. But if you want to hear our review of A Nightmare Before Christmas, that came out for patrons this past weekend. So you can have an extra present under the podcast tree or actually an extra 21 presents because if you become a $10 patron, you get every patron exclusive review we've ever done since we started with The Warriors and Hook, which came out around Christmas, Monster Trucks, which kind of ties into the new Transformers film. If you want to give yourself a real gift, go watch The Last Dragon. I just watched that for the first time. That film is amazing. And then go, yeah, get that podcast, another patron podcast. What an amazing movie The Last Dragon was. <laughs> so all of that's available at nowplayingpatron.com or nowplayingpodcast.com forward slash donate. And Merry Christmas. Happy Holidays. This is our last free show of the new year, but we will be back on New Year's Day, our first show of 2019 with Bumblebee. And until then, justice has been served. Supposed to know who you are. I scavenged the high seas. You're the Aquaman. We were bound to meet at some point. Thank you for listening to this episode of Now Playing's DC Movie Universe Retrospective Series. We hope you've enjoyed the show. Stay down! I wanted it, you'd be dead already. Come back to NowPlayingPodcast.com each week for another new movie review podcast. Can you imagine how people on this planet would react if they knew there was someone like this out there? And while at NowPlayingPodcast.com, be sure to join our forums where you can discuss the DC movies with other listeners. I'm in. You are? Just like that? Yeah. I I need friends. And in the NowPlayingPodcast.com archives, you can find reviews of other comic book films, such as Batman, Superman, Spider-Man, The Avengers, X-Men, The Punisher, and Fantastic Four. I can't wait to show you my toys. You can also listen to our reviews of other movie series, including The Fast and the Furious, Mission Impossible, Star Trek, Terminator, Predator, and many more. Find hundreds of movie review podcasts at NowPlayingPodcast.com. The world's too big, Mom. Then make it small. If you want even more Now Playing reviews, place your order now for the first Now Playing book, Underrated Movies We Recommend. Get reviews of 125 films our hosts love. Not sold anywhere commercially in the world, even Black Market. 
you can order the book by clicking the banner at the top of our homepage. Should we have written it down first? I memorized it, didn't you? Oh, yeah, oh. I know you're trying to find out where I hang my cake. You can follow Now Playing on Facebook and Twitter, where we post announcements of new episodes and where the hosts post movie mini-reviews. Links to our social media pages are available on our homepage. Support from listeners like you. Help keep Now Playing operating. It'd be a huge burden for anyone to bear. You can find a link to donate using PayPal at the bottom of our website, nowplayingpodcast.com. No money, no honey. You can also show your love of Now Playing Podcasts by shopping in our store, where you can buy Now Playing t-shirts, coffee mugs, mouse pads, and much more. The link to our Cafe Press store is available on our homepage. <laughs> nice suit, son. Now Playing is edited by Arnie. That's how it starts. The fever. The rage. The turns, good man. Cruel. Now playing credit narration by Brock. Sorry, the voices. I'm kidding. That's not what they really said. Now playing is not affiliated with DC Comics or Warner Brothers Pictures. DC Comics and all that the DC Universe contains are copyright and trademark Warner Brothers Entertainment, and no infringement is intended. I've seen it, Mr. Wayne. He thinks he's above the law. The opinions expressed on Now Playing are those of the individual hosts and may not reflect the opinion of Venganza Media Incorporated. Today is a day for truth. Now Playing is a Venganza Media production, copyright 2018, all rights reserved, and no part of this show may be reproduced, repurposed, or redistributed without the written permission of Venganza Media Incorporated. Atlantis has always had a king. Now I need something more. But what could be greater than a king? A hero. There was an Easter egg that I perked up at. They have a shot where they pull into a snow globe and below it is a copy of H.P. Lovecraft's Dunwich Horror. Is James Wan going to make that movie? I wondered, the second time I saw it, I'm like, Tom doesn't seem like a Lovecraft fan. So why is that Lovecraft book there? Is he just so lonely at the lighthouse that he'll read anything? But now that you've said that, I bet. Yes, I think we're going to see it. Okay, so you think that's just James Wan giving us a wink of what his next film is. And I'm going to give you a wink that we're going to do Lovecraft movies if that's the case. Finally, Castle Freak. Arthur Curry, played by Jason Momoa, is the offspring of human Tim Curry. No, Tom. Tom Curry, not Tim. <laughs> That'd be Tim Curry, the actor. Tim Curry and Nicole Kidman. What, what would that baby look like? It'd be I, in fishnets, I can tell you that. <laughs> I'm just sitting here, I like pause. I'm like, Tim Curry? <laughs> He's a sweet transvestite from transsexual Atlantis. An Atlantean queen Atlanta. Atlantean Queen Atlanta. Yeah, I know. Isn't that great? Creative. She's from Atlantis. What do we call them? Atlanta. Okay. Good enough. <laughs> At least she's not Atlanta. But she sent Vulco, played by Willem Dafoe, to train Arthur in the ways of Atlantean combat. The whole movie, I thought his name was Zuko, and so I just was having Grease flashbacks. <laughs> I was saying Orko. <laughs> I thought Orko too. <laughs> <laughs>
when they go and visit Zuko, Volko in that <laughs> boat, and Arthur's like, or Arco, Zuko, whatever his name is. And this movie tries to do a coy thing that they keep talking about half breeds because he is coy both... is in the fish. <laughs> no, <laughs> with the sea, but. Yeah, and Steve put... Steve. Steve. <laughs> Is that what we're calling him now? Just Steve. Steve, the king of Atlantis. <laughs> I don't know where the Steve came from. <laughs> he can have it. <laughs> Steve, it's all yours. It's better than Atlan and Atlanta and everybody named Atlantis. Yeah, and the king puts the... Tri <laughs> Steve, I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> I had no idea what it was when I was watching the movie. When I hit wiki to validate my plot summary and I saw it was Carathin, I'm like, Catherine? <laughs> I, this has got Orko in it. It's got Catherine. Catherine the Sea Monster, Steve the King. Why not? I like Arnie's movie better, frankly. <laughs> 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 <laughs>